Welcome, everybody, to the Informed Secular Minds podcast. I am Corey. You can follow me at Dopinephrine. And joining me today in the special guest host chair is Carlos, our good friend Chuck. You can follow him at Jotunards, J-O-T-U-N-A-R. Uh, we've been dear friends for months now. This is, this is a, a individual of remarkable talent, a political junkie like myself, and a free thinker of, uh, of highest caliber. Um, we decided that what we would like to do, given that this is the final episode of ISM before President Obama leaves office, that we would like to do a review of his administration and of the man himself. Um, as, as most people are aware, day after tomorrow, uh, we will be inaugurating a new president through the peaceful transfer of power that elected leaders in the United States enjoy. Uh, and of course, uh, Donald J. Trump will become the 45th president of the United States. But for the moment, for tonight through tomorrow, Barack Obama remains the 44th president and is still in power. So given that uh, it, is a, it is a time of, of change, it is a time of transition, we wanted to take a look back at the last eight years, take a look at this particular president, and have a discussion. If anybody would like to call in, give us your thoughts on the president, ask a question, you can do so. Give us a call at 646-564-9551, and we will put you right on the air, and you can speak your piece. So, Chuck, how are you doing tonight? Not bad, not bad. I haven't had enough coffee, I can tell you that, but I'm working Not on enough it. coffee. There's never enough, right? No. Thank you. I, uh, I, I tell you one thing, it is a it is a beautiful night because at least we have President Obama. At least we still have him for a little bit longer. I agree. Right. Um I understand that you had uh you had a bit of a computer crash. I have had a Hell of a night. I uh, I believe I have had a complete hardware failure. Yeah. Oh so, no. It's yeah. it's it's the absolute worst thing, especially when when what you do is communicate on the internet when your when your work is online. It's just like the worst feeling in the world. I think I'm in shock. <laughs> well, we appreciate you making the show anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that's a lot to deal with. Thanks for uh, thanks for for being on the show. Regardless, uh, we sure do appreciate that. Um, everybody in the chat room, no hello! Thanks for joining us. I see Joel Birch in there, Island Girl, Arabin, and we've got Cat is Cat. All Hallows Night. Everybody is here to listen to the program. We appreciate your support as always. Make sure that you're following ISM Podcast underscore on both Twitter and Periscope right now. Our good friend Young Athlon three nine nine is scoping uh, the podcast for us. Um, so you can you can um, uh, you can access the, uh, the the show there if you cannot join us on Blog Talk Radio. Of course, we want you to join us on Blog Talk Radio. You can go to blogtalkradio.com/informedpodcast and you can see us on there. We also, of course, want to go ahead and just just annoy you with a plug right out of the gate and ask you to consider becoming a patron of the show at patreon.com/informedpodcast. That allows me to continue what I'm doing. That allows us to continue making uh, uh, quality material for everybody out there to enjoy. Okay, let's let's jump right in to our program. Um, we have we have two goals tonight. This is, after all, the Informed Secular Minds podcast. 
So what we want to do for the first part of the show is we want to talk about Obama as he relates to secularism and perhaps even atheism, if I can make the case. Um, sure. We're we're we've got some some material pr- uh, uh, prepared there, and then we also, of course, want to uh, uh, do the more political side of the show, where we'll end up uh, going through uh, his administration, the time that he's been in office, and some of the major uh, accomplishments, maybe even some of the major failings of the uh, of the Obama presidency. But to begin with, let's get the the really fun secular and atheist stuff uh, going for everybody. Um, what I wanted to start with was this idea. Presidents often reinforce America's oldest promise, that there is to be no persecution on the basis of religion. It doesn't matter if you're Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, name what you like. The melting pot of America is big enough for all of them. But there is one group, when we talk about religious demographics, that is almost never mentioned, and that is nonbelievers. Atheists, agnostics, and the like who do not claim any faith or religion as their own. This trend changed on January 20th, 2009, during Barack Obama's inauguration as the 44th president of the United States. He said during that inauguration speech um, in Washington, uh, one, one line from that was, for we know that our patchwork heritage is a strength, not a weakness. We are a nation of Christians and Muslims, Jews and Hindus and non-believers. Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, Chuck and myself. We couldn't find any other references to non-believers in the inauguration speech of any other president in American history. So Obama did something here for the first time. He made history by uh, including non-believers who, as it, those who have been listening to the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, how large that demographic is in the 2014 uh Pew study, they showed that 23% of respondents declared none, none of the above, either atheist, agnostic, or or just just no religion. We're we're not we don't subscribe to 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 any of this. That's that's nearly a quarter of the nation. And until 2009, when Barack Obama uh, became president, no other president had had bothered mentioning. Uh, that group, the, the, the largest minority in America, had gone completely um, unrecognized. So right, right off the bat, we, we, we want to acknowledge that, uh, that Barack Obama did something uh, uh, pretty neat, pretty neat there. Um, that's, uh, that's remarkable from, from, uh, from my point of view. Now, Obama made a point to include non-believers several times throughout his presidency – on January 15th of 2010, he released a proclamation noting Religious Freedom Day, stating, Long before our nation's independence, wary settlers sought refuge on our shores to escape religious persecution on other continents. Recognizing their strife and toil, it was the genius of America's forefathers to protect our freedom of religion, including the freedom to practice none at all. Similarly, a year later, he wrote, the writ of the founding fathers was upe- rather has upheld the ability of Americans to worship and practice religion as they choose, including the right to believe in new religion at all. Um, Chuck, this trend, this trend continues um, again and again. 
sure. This was this was 2010. Um, I think in the notes we've got what he said in 2012 as well. Right, drafted by Jefferson, the Virginia statute formed the basis for the First Amendment, which has pre- uh, preserved religious freedom for both believers and non-believers for over 220 years. As our nation uh, has grown, so too is diversity, faith, culture, and traditions. Um, let's see, individuals and varied beliefs have called, oh, excuse me. I got dyslexic on us all of a sudden. (laughs) As our nation has grown, and so too is diversity of faith, culture, and traditions, uh, today is individuals and riches, varied beliefs, and call, varied beliefs call American cultures. Damn. Home. And seek to follow their conscience and peace. Our long history of religious tolerance and pluralism has strengthened our country, helped create a vibrant civil society, and remain true to the principles enshrined in our founding documents. We're starting to see a trend here. Um, the, the, every year uh, on, on the Freedom of Religion Day, which is which is usually in the middle of January. Uh, in fact, it's always in the middle of January. The president uh, gives a proclamation. Usually this is just something that is written up and released by the White House. But in all of these instances, the president is, is making sure to talk about non-religion. He's mentioning that it's okay not to have any religion at all, that that group should be included along with, uh, you know, Christians and Muslims and Hindus and, and whatever, uh, whatever other uh, theology you might want to, uh, you might, you might want to name. Um, this happened again in January of 2013. Because of the protections guaranteed by our Constitution, each of us has the right to practice our faith openly and as we choose. As a free country, our story has been shaped by every language and enriched by every culture. We are a nation of Christians and Muslims, Jews and Hindus, Sikhs and non-believers. Our patchwork heritage is a strength we owe to our religious freedom. Today, we also remember that religious liberty is not just an American right. It is a universal human right to be protected here at home and across the globe. This freedom is an essential part of human dignity, and without it, our world cannot know lasting peace. Not only is he including atheists here, it's also a call for increased secularism. Remember, secularism is not antithetical to religion. It's about inclusion. Secularism is about being free to practice any religion you want, hold any beliefs that you want. Secularism is, is the spirit of, uh, if you will, the wall of separation between church and state. Um, referenced in the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. This seems to be um, the president, and again, for the first time, saying that everybody is equal. It doesn't matter if you're religious or non-religious, and if you are religious, it doesn't matter what religion you are. We all have an equal right to that, and that must be protected. We don't get to go into America and pass a law that is based on a particular religious view. We don't get to say uh, my particular holy text in competition with your holy text says that this is a way to be ethical or moral. And because it's in that book, I think that it should be established legislatively for everybody to have to follow. That would be uh, 
in, in violation of the First Amendment, and secularism is intended to protect everybody's ability to have those rules for themselves without having to risk the tyranny of some other group that may find themselves in the majority inflicting religious rules upon them. Am I, am I saying but that correctly, Chuck? Does that make sense? No. See, that's the thing, though, is that it seems to me that that was always implied before, but not strictly stated. Exactly right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that this is this is one of those things that this is one of those laws that you just kind of had to come along and make because people, you know, it's like somebody came along and finally, you know, like Jimmy finally came along and fucked it up for the rest of us. You know. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's kind of one of those things where it's it, it seems obvious, uh, and it especially seems like this would have been long uh, settled long before the 21st century. Um, right. But here we are, um, and and I think I think what we're seeing here is a is a very gentle, very subtle trend towards uh, towards inclusion. Right. It's like seriously, we we really had to make a rule for this. <laughs> Doesn't this go out of being? Sure, sure. Um, I, I I do I do like though that he's that he's when he didn't have to he's bothering to include non-believers along with all of the other demographics uh, when we talk about uh, when we talk about beliefs. Um, I think that's that's kind of neat. Um, we're not just going to sit here and list every time Obama said the word non-believer, but there is a point right. here. Obama actively used language that was inclusive towards atheists for a reason. There had been a growing concern that laws protecting American citizens from religious persecution could be construed as not providing equal rights to nonbelievers. This is where Jimmy comes in. For a deeper understanding on this legislation, I'm going to refer to an article by Michael Stone, who was writing for um, Patheos, um, right. which is a, a pretty nifty little website. Right. It's good for everybody. It really is. If uh, if anybody yeah. here isn't familiar with uh, with Patheos.com, it's a uh, it's a pretty great it's a pretty great resource. Um, okay, so I'm just going to read the beginning of this article for everybody. For the first time, atheists and other non-religious persons are explicitly named as a class protected by the law. Uh, President Barack Obama has signed into law the Frank Wolf International Religious Freedom Act. The new law protects atheists, humanists, and other free thinkers around the world from religious persecution. Congress passed the International Religious Freedom Bill protecting atheists, humanists, and other non-theists last week. With and, and he wrote this back in December, so when I say last week, it's because I'm reading and it wasn't actually last week. Uh, with overwhelming bipartisan support. I love that. I so love that. With, with, with all of the contention, with all of the back and forth, with all of the associations of, of Christianity, especially with the right – Bipartisan support for this piece of legislation. Uh, he right. finally signed it into law on Friday, December the 16th. It, it, what they had to do here was this new law explicitly atheist, humanists, and non-theists. Uh, it's an upgrade of the 1998 International Religious Freedom Act. In particular, the new law states the following. The freedom of thought, conscience, and religion is understood to protect theistic and non-theistic beliefs, as well as the right not to profess or practice any religion. The language in the old bill, the original bill, um, basically said it doesn't matter what religion you believe in. We all believe in something, and that's okay. We're not gonna, we're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not allowed to get persecuted because you know you be, you believe in a, in a different god than the majority does. 
what it failed to do was say that that included people that didn't believe in anything. Basically, it said, as long as you believe, you're covered. It doesn't matter what you believe. The fear here from like wonkish lawyers was, yeah, but wait a minute. What if I have an atheist client? This could easily be read to mean that they aren't protected by this particular bill. You see where I'm going with this? It's like how many different ways do we have to say it? <laughs> Truly. You know, it's like it's it's first of all it started off in the constitution. <laughs> you know, and and it's it's come up so many different ways and it's just like God leave us alone <laughs> about this. This is why I, uh, I, I like the Freedom From Religion Foundation because they use the word from and not of. Uh, the, the actual language in the Constitution it talks about freedom of religion, uh, which means you're free to believe in whatever you want to believe, but apparently enough people were concerned that that didn't, that didn't quite include – as well as freedom of religion, you should also have freedom from religion, and you shouldn't have to believe in – you shouldn't have to go subscribe to a church in order to get some basic constitutional rights. It's, it's, it's an oversight that I will admit I probably, I probably would have made. I don't know that I would have noticed this. It would have been like, yeah, we're all safe. But turns out when you're playing, uh, when you're playing with, with laws like this, um, <laughs> there's, there's enough of a reason to, to, to actually go in and, and, and state it really, really staunchly. Look, we're also talking about atheists here, not just the, the conglomerate, the entire color wheel of theists. Right. Um, commenting on the new law, Caroline Mala Corbin, professor of law at the University of Miami, said the new law has some really interesting language in it. It takes an expansive view of religious liberty, saying freedom of religion is not just about the right to practice religion. It is also about the right to have your own views about religion, including being agnostic and atheistic. So I didn't know that I, that I needed this, but turns out it's a good thing that we have it. Um, and I would like to thank our representatives in Congress for noticing and saying, yeah, uh, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't have to like atheists, uh, to recognize that, that they should also have rights here. And of course we, uh, we're, we're grateful that president Obama went ahead and, um, and signed it. That's pretty great. Wow. They're trying to, I guess, go down in history as being happy after the fact or some shit. Who knows what the motivation is? I um, <laughs> could could well be could be that you know they're they're just scoring brownie points, but those brownie points actually serve a purpose, or at least they hypothetically could in some potential future where a staunch judge is like atheists aren't protected under the law, and now they can't do that. So, All right. that's that's pretty cool. Uh, right. One more non-believer reference after the Fort Hood shooting in November of two thousand nine. Obama right. said of American soldiers in a radio address, they are Christians and Muslims, Jews and Hindus and non-believers. I like this because this is the president of the United States saying that there are indeed atheists in foxholes. Yep. I like that. Uh, I mean, I already knew that because I know a few of them. I've, I've met atheists who were at one time both atheist and in a foxhole. Um, right. But I think it's kind of cool country. that, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there, atheists come in every shape and color. 
like we said, we're the largest we're the largest minority in the country. If you can imagine a particular person and give them whatever traits you want to give them aside from religion, it's possible to have that exact person also in atheist flavor. There's there's no lines here. If you don't believe in God, you're an atheist. End of story. It doesn't matter your color, gender, or ethnicity, or any of that. Well, on my on my Periscope, I get questions like, "What what do atheists like? You know, what what do atheists like? Like seriously, man. One, one time, I got a question that was like, "What do atheists eat?" It's like really. <laughs> People are still having to ask what it means. Yeah. Right. It's like I don't know. I haven't polled each and every atheist. We're we're very very different. <laughs> right. 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 Atheist means does not believe in a god or gods. Full stop. That's absolutely Ooh. it. We are really different after that. Well said. Yep. You can you can we don't necessarily agree politically. We don't necessarily uh, agree on on any particular policy. We're not all men or women. We're not all black or white or Native American or gay or straight. They, I, I know atheists that fit all of those other descriptions. Chuck, let's talk about Bill Maher. Let's talk about Bill Maher. We we just established that you know obviously there's there's uh, there's a lot of atheists in America, uh, at least a lot of religious. One, one second, none. one second. I, I have to stop you for a second. Have you seen the Dark Crystal? The Dark Crystal. Uh, once upon a time, I did. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember what Gelflings were in the Dark Crystal? Oh, I think you'll have to refresh my memory. Those were the char- the main characters, the the Jen the and. The, the main two characters. Okay. He looks exactly like a Gelfling. Anybody listening that's of a certain age is peeing right now. Bill Maher does? Yes. Oh, that's if you, awesome. If you have an internet connection, just type in Gelfling and then you'll have a internet, you'll have an image pop up and you'll be like, yay! <laughs> he does. That's fantastic. Anyhow, Anyhow uh, go ahead. You know what? We've got a caller. Uh, so what I'm going to do before we before we completely geek out on Bill Maher, I'm going to okay. uh, I'm going to put this person on the air. Let's see what happens. All right. You have reached the Informed Secular Minds podcast. What's your name? Hello. Hello. How's it going? Good. Hey, long time listener, first time caller here. <laughs> how's it um, going, Nathaniel? Good, man. Question I have from that is, is obviously it's a wonderful eulogy to the uh, outgoing POTUS and his wife's birthday was the other day. I think the question that I have, and I know it's not necessarily a topic that you guys are getting into tonight, but I'd like to get your opinion on it. Um, whether you think, like, honestly think that with, um, you know, Donald Trump is, is our next president, which uh, he is, uh, those you know, those, those liberties are, are, are vulnerable, um, that, that type of thing. I, 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 I tend to react a little differently than some folks, and I just wanted to get uh, you guys' opinion on that. And I'll, uh, if you want, you can like, put back on hold or whatever. I'll, just, I'll, I'll sit and listen. Okay, sounds good. Um, that's so cool. We got a call from our, from our, the old co-host Nathaniel. So glad that, uh, to, to hear from him. Um, that is a, that is a fantastic question. Um, 
yeah, we we I we. I couldn't quite hear him. I couldn't quite make out the question. Could you? Okay, could you let me. That? Sure. Let me try to restate it for you. Um, he's asking yeah. if, uh, if, if we have any kind of concern about um, the incoming president, Mr. Trump, uh, if, if, if this kind of legislation, if, if these ideas, if, if this particular uh, law um, is under any kind of threat uh, as he comes into power, given that he is so very different from Obama, um, is this kind of progress in a legal sense uh, going to be under any kind of uh, any kind of risk. Absolutely. Absolutely. You think so? I'm terrified. Yeah, I'm terrified. Yeah, I'm terrified for lots and lots of laws and lots and lots of progress. Tons of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think I would probably tend to agree. Um, the um, I, I don't know I don't know if I would particularly worry about this bill. Um. I mean, I, I, I guess I don't have any reason to not worry about this bill if I'm going to worry about others. This was passed with bipartisan support. It's going to be politically difficult, I would say, for – Yeah, this, this bill is safe, I would say, but for, um, for tons of legislation coming forward, yeah, I'm terrified. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would definitely keep an eye on that. I, I, this question gets asked of me a lot, and I, and I tend to not – I tend to not bother much. What do you think of people that um, that 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 wonder whether or not Donald Trump is an atheist? Uh, what do I think of people that think that? that well, what do you think of the question? What do you think of the question? Do you do you do you think that's a that's a reasonable question? Is it even answerable? I think it's irrelevant. I agree. I think it's probably irrelevant. Um. There, there doesn't. He doesn't seem to have a, a grand history of being, um, you know, like he doesn't have a lot of historical involvement with a with a particular church. Um, he has said that the Bible is is very important to him. Um, in fact, somebody asked him what is what his favorite Bible verse was, and he said, "Oh, it's too personal to talk about." Um, he referred to Second Corinthians as two Corinthians. Um, yeah, two Corinthians, which is just. <laughs> kind of hilarious. Um, I, I, I don't think that uh, that we would that we have any evidence to suggest that he is devout. Uh, he's 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 probably not. Um, well, he's like a seventy-something-year-old boy. Mm. You know? Well said. Yep. Yep, I would agree with that. Okay. Let's talk about Bill Maher. Now that we've okay. now that we've established that he had a had a had a cameo in the Dark Crystal, uh, I can I can uh, let's let's check in with him. Nathaniel, did that answer your okay. question, or did we completely bounce around it? No, unlike most politicians, you guys actually uh, you went right at it. Um, <laughs> I, I whatever, and I, I've been asked that question about Donald Trump being an atheist before as well, as if my opinion matters. Um, and uh, I, whenever people ask me about uh, the the the, uh, the 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 liberties that we have that we've started to kind of enjoy, especially over the course of the past decade, maybe a little longer, uh, as as secular uh, people, I actually tend to deflect down and say that I am absolutely, and I think for you and I have had the conversation, terrified of Mike Pence. Mm. Um, I am. I have 
I have zero fear of Donald Trump. The guy, the guy can't, if, if, unless he has his Twitter account and he's tweeting something, he can't find his own bathroom. Huh. Um, <laughs> and, and, but Mike Pence, for years and years and decades, has waged an all-out war on the Establishment Clause and, uh, and, and, and on uh, what, is, what, is, what is the, uh, I forget which, uh, which part it is, but it says, you know, you, you don't have to take a religious test. The whole public office this year when he was reaching out to conservatives, he sent a, a message to all the churches from himself. Go out and vote if you're like me. And then, of course, you know, that, and that's unconstitutional. And so I think when, when people ask me that, I, I tend to I tend to go, um, I don't know about the Donald, but I'm absolutely terrified of Mike Pence and the people that, that he has around him. But I thank you guys for uh, answering that for sure. Thank you very much. Thanks for absolutely calling the show. Always nice valid, to hear from you. Yeah, all valid claims about Mike Pence. Absolutely all valid terror. You, you're completely right to be terrified of Mike, Mike Pence. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's that's probably a bit more of a dangerous element. I would tend to agree. Um, I'm, I'm glad that Nathaniel raised that. Uh, Mike Pence has 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 waged basically all-out war on women's rights from a theistic standpoint, uh, uh, on gay rights from a theistic standpoint. This is somebody to watch, um, um, maybe more so than than even the president. Now, the vice president doesn't inherently have any power, but I think that it would be safe to assume. Um, that Donald Trump intends to give him a, a considerable amount of power. He'll, he'll certainly have the president's ear. Um, and so we, we definitely need to, uh, need to keep an eye on him. Um, right. More so than, than how to wield his power. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But, right. I mean, Nathaniel, you know, just stated that wonderfully. So, I mean, you know, there's really not anything else that needs to be said about it. So Bill okay. Maher. Bill Maher. Now, yeah. We've got we've got a lot of atheists in in um, in America and of course around the world. Bill Maher is certainly one of the most uh, outspoken and public atheists in America. Um, he is he has been famous for I mean the better part of thirty years now. Um, right. He's he did the politically correct show in the nineties um, where mm-hmm. he would have on he was openly atheist then and he would have on. Uh, uh, openly atheist guests. Um, same thing, even even more so with real time with Bill Maher on HBO today. Um, right. He's 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 a staunch atheist. He's he's. I mean, he even made a movie called Religious uh, about atheism. Fabulous um, movie, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty great. You know, we can we can raise the occasional eyebrow at the film, but more or less, it's a it's a it's a it's a good documentary. Um, oh, did I tip my hat there? I'm sorry. <laughs> well done, sir. Um, Bill Maher famously contributed a million dollars to Obama's reelection campaign in 2012, yes, but generally refused to gush over the president and was one of the staunchest voices of Obama administration criticism from the left. Um, he'd right. been trying to land an interview with the president for years. He finally resorted to a White House.gov petition, which I will say that I signed, uh, asking Barack Obama to appear on the HBO show that bears his name. Uh, the, the, the petition 
needed 100,000 signatures. It got over 320,000. Right. Which is really, really cool. And, exactly. And, and, and fi- even, even right at, it, it, he waited right until the very, very end, but the president did finally agree to appear on the show and did so like four days before the last election. Um, Marr took the opportunity to uh, raise atheism because it's not something that often enters public discourse. And since he had the president's ear, um, they uh, they talked about um, they talked about atheism. And I've got the um, the transcript here. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna run through this quickly for everybody because I'd like to talk about it, and I didn't want to get in trouble with HBO by using their clip. So you're going to have to do with me instead of actually hearing from Bill Maher and the president himself. Bill Maher asked, I don't know if anybody from my tribe of atheists ever thanked you for giving us a shout out at your first inaugural, but you did mention nonbelievers. We appreciate it because we do feel like untouchables to a degree. I mean, I don't know if you saw the latest religion survey, but almost a quarter of the country put none for religion. They're atheist agnostics, or they just don't want to get up on Sunday morning. And we have no representation in Congress. If our numbers were represented, There'd be over 100 congresspeople who felt that way. It just seems like we are not included in the basket of diversity in America, which is odd because we are the biggest minority. That is a bigger minority than any other minority you can name. Don't you think we should get a little more love? Obama's response was to say, my question would be whether there is active persecution of atheists. I think that there is – well – I think for a candidate, I think you're right, that there are certain occupations, probably most prominently politics, where there would be a bias against somebody who's agnostic or atheist and running for office. I think that's still true. Outside of that arena, though, you seem to have done all right with your TV show. I think the average American, if they go to the workplace, somebody's next to them, they're not poking around trying to figure out what their religious beliefs are. So here's what I would say. We should foster a culture in which people's private religious beliefs, including atheists and agnostics, are respected. And that's the kind of culture that I think allows all of us, then, to believe what we want. That's freedom of conscience. That's what our Constitution guarantees. And where we get into problems, typically, is when our personal religious faith or the community of faith that we participate in tips into a sort of fundamentalist extremism in which it's not enough for us to believe what we believe, but we start feeling obligated to hit you over the head because you don't believe the same thing or to treat you as somebody who's less than I am. Mar asked, but you might be more pro-science in America if we were less religious, don't you think? And Obama responded, well, you know, I think that the issue, the issues we have with science these days are not restricted to what's happening with respect to religion. There are a lot of very religious scientists around. I think the problem here is that in our school systems, and to some degree, and this is where it is relevant, with school boards around the country that are mandating curriculums and textbooks, you start seeing this weird watering down of scientific fact so that our kids are growing up in an environment. And this connects to what I was saying earlier about the media, where everything is contested, where nothing is true. Because if it's on Facebook, it all looks the same. If you're reading something from a Nobel Prize winning physicist next to some guy in his underwear writing in his basement or his mom's basement on text, it looks like it's equally plausible. And part of what we have to do a better job of if our democracy is to function in a complicated, diverse society like this is to teach our kids enough critical thinking to be able to sort out what is true and what is false, what is contestable and what is incontestable. And it seems to have trouble with and we seem to have trouble with that. And our political system doesn't help. What is your what is your your knee jerk reaction 
um, to these two statements from the president? Well, for the first half of that, it's dangerously walking the line between wishy-washy and exactly what he needed to say. And for the last half, I'm not exactly sure. I would I would agree with you on the on the first portion. When I first heard that, I was I was instinctively annoyed. I was like, yeah, you're just you're just you're 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 relegating this to a non-issue, and that doesn't that doesn't feel right. But at the same time, when I when I stopped and I and I and I you know really thought about this statement, I thought he's kind of right inside of the United States. I've there are groups in America, um, especially ethnic minorities, who are systemically targeted because of their skin color. Right. I have never been pulled over by the police and harassed because I was an atheist. I have never been shot at because I was an atheist. I don't know any atheists who are harassed in such a way. I've heard people right. say that they think that their atheism may have harmed their chances at getting a job. Um, I wouldn't say that that's the majority of atheists. No. And atheism is something that you can keep to yourself. Right. You, now, you should, once you're inside of a job or something, if you start talking about it or something like that, I've heard of plenty of people that have lost their jobs. Um, over mm. it um, now, is that is that fair, um, or is that something that you can just keep to yourself? Uh, that that is that is a, a different conversation entirely. Um, but I don't know. Um, Atheists should be free to to declare themselves such. Um, and 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 right. remain free of of you know attack or or bias, um, right? But it is. But what I'm getting at is, is that it is not the same thing as getting pulled over because you are an atheist. It is not the same thing as getting. You know what I mean? It's not. Precisely. It's not one of those things. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I agree. It's um. It's it's. You know. You, you can't. You can't change the color of your skin. You can't change right. your sexuality. Um, you can just not tell anybody that you're an atheist. You could lie and say that you are right. in fact a Christian or a Muslim and you right. know, nobody's going to know the difference. So um, right. I, 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 I don't want this issue to be belittled and cast aside, but at the same time, um, if I was in charge of prioritizing, even though I am very much an atheist and I, and I talk about it quite a lot, um, I would, mm. I would, I would think that we should prioritize um, real persecution in America before we get to the atheists. We can we can get to that once we have, you know, stopped killing black people for being black. Once we've stopped right. attacking people for being gay. Yeah, yeah because okay. there there is such a thing as real persecution, and you know we both know that that's 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 not what most atheists are actually living under. Precisely. You know, at least yep. in the United States. <laughs> yeah, right. Outside right. of the United States, that's that's a massively different story, but. I'll uh, I'll leave the the persecution complexes to the Christians who think that cr uh, Christmas is being taken away from them. They can they can have oh, that one. I need to play that game. <laughs> oh man, happy holidays, man! I need to say happy holidays. Yeah, keep it secular. Mm -hmm. Um. Absolutely.
I and don't have wanted, me read anything else, man. You know I'm half dyslexic. Good lord. I I won't. I won't do that to you. I won't. Uh, yeah, I'm an epileptic who's half dyslexic. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you've got you've got two good excuses. Don't don't sorry. Don't 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 worry yeah. about that. Well, uh, I can handle uh, it. Okay. Um, presidents often use their farewell addresses to highlight some potential problem that they recognize as worthy of special attention in the future. George Washington urged Americans to avoid excessive political party spirit and geographical distinctions. In foreign affairs, he warned against long-term alliances with other nations. Eisenhower warned against the growing military-industrial complex. What did Obama use his farewell address to highlight, you may ask? Well, among other things, he pushed back against hyperpartisanship and cultural sectarianism, both of which we have talked about previously on the show. Um, here, is, uh, here is a few minutes from that speech. For too many of us, it's become safer to retreat into our own bubbles, whether in our neighborhoods or on college campuses or places of worship or especially our social media feeds. Surrounded by people who look like us and share the same political outlook and never challenge our assumptions. And the rise of naked partisanship and increasing economic and regional stratification, the splitting of our media into a channel for every taste. All this makes this great sorting seem natural, even inevitable. And increasingly, we become so secure in our bubbles that we start accepting only information, whether it's true or not, that fits our opinions, instead of basing our opinions on the evidence that is out there. And this trend represents a third threat to our democracy. Look, politics is a battle of ideas. That's how our democracy was designed. In the course of a healthy debate, we prioritize different goals and the different means of reaching them. But without some common baseline of facts, without a willingness to admit new information and concede that your opponent might be making a fair point, and that science and reason matter, then we're going to keep talking past each other. And we'll make common ground and compromise impossible. I love that. I love that an entire audience just burst into applause at the thought of science and reason. That's my Obama. I mean, really, what what a what a thing to say, and what a uh, an important issue to highlight in your farewell address. I, I we've talked about this several times in the show. I talk about this all the time in my in my personal life and in in, in on Periscope. Um, this is this is a common theme for me, and I love that he recognizes this problem as well and took you know, his, his kind of last best effort at talking to the country to say, you know what, watch out for fake news. 
watch out for the bullshit that people will try to convince you of. There is, there is a way to determine to a reasonable degree what is true and accurate. And if you're willing to suspend that when you get a um, sensational headline, you certainly aren't doing anybody else a favor, and I don't think you're doing yourself one either. But That's did really you really also good. hear the way that he had uh, the the way in with his tone and and so forth that he had almost weaponized the uh, the cadence of the of the words science and reason? Yes. Yes. Excellent. Point. Like if you, could, I don't know, I don't know if we can go back to that, but uh, that was I, I would really. I would unfortunately and have to that, play the entire clip again. Okay, never mind. But but that is, that is when the uh, crowd really hit. That's that was nice. Yeah, there was a, there was a fantastic, just a, just a real emphasis. There was a bit of an extra base in it of science and reason, and that was just nice. Yes, just yeah. makes me happy inside. In your, yeah, uh, in the immortal words of somebody, I don't know. Somebody, somebody heard this. Uh, he knew what the fuck he was doing. That's all I'm saying. For sure, yeah. He's, uh, you know, you, you you listen to his speechwriters talk, and they and they talk about the difficulty of writing for Obama. They they want to capture uh, his language, um, and and one of them said back during the 2008 campaign that it's hard to write for Obama as a speechwriter because he's already the best speechwriter. He's he's always the primary writer of his speeches. He's very much involved um, up to the last minute. He's doing additional drafts. He's, he's rethinking things, considering uh, what he's going to say and editing it um, as, as late as he possibly can as new ideas occur to him. Um, and, uh, and I think it's because he, he knows what he wants to say, and he, it's important to him to be um, as accurate as possible. And I like how you put that, almost weaponizing the cadence. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a beautiful thing to say. He, he, he very much kind of employs, uh, diction to his advantage in more ways than one. Um, the president also spoke about the intellectual framework carved out by the great thinkers of yesterday when he said the following. Now we can and should argue about the best approach to our problems, but to simply deny the problems not only betrays future generations, it betrays the essential spirit of innovation and practical problem solving that guided our founders. It's that spirit, born of the Enlightenment, that made us an economic powerhouse. The spirit that took flight at Kitty Hawk and Cape Canaveral. The spirit that cures disease and put a computer in every pocket. It's that spirit, a faith in reason and enterprise and the, prim- and the primacy of right over might, that allowed us to resist the lure of fascism and tyranny during the Great Depression and build a post-World War II order with other democracies, an order based not just on military power or national affiliations, but on principles, the rule of law, human rights, freedoms of religion, speech, assembly, and an independent press. That order is now being challenged, first by violent fanatics who claim to speak for Islam, more recently by autocrats in foreign capitals who see free markets, open democracies, and civil society itself as a threat to their power. The peril each poses to our democracy is more far-reaching than a car bomb or a missile. It represents the fear of change, the fear of people who look or speak or pray differently, a contempt for the rule of law 
that holds leaders accountable, an intolerance of dissent and free thought, a belief that the sword or the gun or the bomb or propaganda machine is the ultimate arbiter of what's true and what's right. I mean, wow. Yeah. I'm going to miss this guy. I know. And it's like, damn, you know, the Republicans used to be all about, quote, unquote, the rule of law. You know, that used to be their game. Hmm. This is, this is powerful stuff. The, um, the prioritization of ideas over might, um, it's, it's, it's it's elegant. It's sophisticated. It's it's just. I, I I want more of this in the public, in the public sphere. I want more of this in the conversation as we proceed. No matter what direction we take, I want more of this attitude um, in the debate. Do you know that I think a third term would honestly give him the opportunity to clean up some of the crap that happened in his first term that would make that would make him rush more worthy. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. Wow. Wow. Um, what, what particularly, well, before, before you know, we get just to some that. of his, you know, some of his, you know, military po- policy in the beginning, you know, some of the, sh- some of the shit with Syria, you know, it, it helped him make up for some of that, you know, because people are like, well, you can't take back some of that. You can't make up for some of that. It's like, well, you know, he's a president, mm. you know. And that's bloody important to remember. Here, there's know, no such thing. shit happens when you're a president, you know. Absolutely. It, it, there's, there's no such thing as a perfect president. There's no such thing as, as, um, as a perfect record. Uh, the job of president is often having to make impossible decisions. A lot of times, the president finds themselves stuck between the colloquial rock and a hard place. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, I, 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 I have to act. My only options are shit and shittier. And we should, we should remember that uh, when, we're, when we're thinking about any president. Any, any, any president you can name, I'm sure we could, we could examine and find something that we disagree with, something else that we agree with, regardless of what side of the political spectrum we're on or they're on. Um, the job of president is really, really hard. And I, I, we, we, we've got to be able to um, not, not damn any one president or, or hero worship any one president to the point of right. ignoring their, fall, their, their, their faults or their, or their victories. Um, and I would and encourage there's so everybody. much stuff that we never, ever, ever find out about, ever, ever, you know, because it's because it's really, really hard. Um, you know, how how do we know that we I mean, this is plausible, right? How do we know that we haven't had massive terror attacks since 9-11? Mm. How do mm. we know that? That have been prevented. I mean, that is plausible, right? Sure. How we sure? Should, how do we know that subsequent to 9/11, George Bush actually pulled his head out of his ass and was a competent president from that point forward? Sure. I mean, 
as impossible to my mind as it is, it is plausible. Yeah, so, it is. It's plausible. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, we might have had massive terror attacks that were uh, completely, you know, stopped, and we just never found out about the shit. Um, so that that's what I like about this stuff. Uh, that's that's part of the reason I'm a political junkie, because, you know, the unknowns and, you know, some of the James Bond-ish ele- elements of it, you know. Right, that cool. right. It is cool. Yeah, when you when you find out. I mean, we're still uh it was just like last month. They were they were um uncovering information about some of the Nixon scandals. You we're still yeah. we're still learning about this stuff. Uh a, a quick a quick piece of of just general advice. I, there's a lot of um contention in the country right now about um Donald Trump. Most people seem to either love him or hate him. And he's going to be the president in, you know, less than less than two days. Um, We must always be willing to stand up against draconian attitudes. We must always be willing to take a stand and say, this is too far. This is unacceptable. You are doing something that will harm the voiceless. And we as people that have voices will protest. But we must also not fall into the trap of in this hyperpartisan climate um, finding a way to demonize everything that Trump does. We have to allow for the possibility that he will do things that require us to give credit where credit is due. Right. We may end up at the end of the day. Oh Lord, I can't believe it. It is absolutely possible that he may end up being a competent president and people may people need to keep that in the back of their minds yeah you know it's it's not outside their give him that chance as impossible as it seems they need to give him that chance yeah yeah because it's not there is always, you know, the possibility you can go hating if he gets crazy. But I mean, just watch him out the side of your, you know, out of the side of your eye. But you know, he might be competent. I think we probably owe it to ourselves, to our country, and to the half of the voters who chose any given president um, to be able to state one thing at least about their administration or their policy that we agree with or could support. If you can't find that, I, I feel as though you're not trying hard enough. I, I, you, you, can, you can absolutely hate uh, what a president stands for or that, that president's demeanor or whatever the case may be. But even if you disagree with 99% of everything that person does, you should be able to find one thing and be willing to give enough ground to say they were right about X. They did okay when it came to whatever. Right, you know, and we should we should do that we should do that for Trump, if and when possible. Absolutely. Well, my message to the left is this: What good does it do the entire country to totally blockade Trump, like the Republicans did Obama? You mm. you have nothing but gridlock for another eight years, that or another at least four years. That doesn't do the country any good. Nothing. Just learn how to compromise. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not um, think of the damn country. 
Yes, think of the country. It's it's about getting stuff done, and the only way to do that is to compromise. You're going to have to compromise with Trump. You're going to have to do it, and and you have to find ways to do that that don't sacrifice vital ground and don't set the country back when it comes to progress and and rights and and whatnot. But you've got to find somewhere, some way of of doing that at least from time to time. We owe it to the people that elected him. We owe it to the citizens who decided that this was the person they wanted to lead the nation. Yeah, prove that our side is the, are the adults, you know. Even right. That too. Yeah. Right. right. Lead by example. Get something done. Sure. Well, we're just about at the halfway point. Um, next, we're going to delve into uh, this president's actual actual record, move away from the rhetoric a little bit. Uh, but before we do, okay. I want to uh, shout out Young Athlon399, who's helping us with the podcast uh, uh, on okay. Periscope. He's so cool. I, I really do. I yeah. don't. I don't. He's got a weird family, but I like him. Um, he has good hair. I like his hair. <laughs> yeah, he's got. Looks awesome like a candle. <laughs> Yeah, he's got a fantastic hat collection as well. He's just a cool guy, and you should all be following yeah. Young Athlon three nine nine on Periscope and on Twitter. Um, if you want to get on the air and talk to us, give us a call six four six five six four nine five five one. Chuck, where can people find you? I am at Jotunar. That's J O T U N A R. Jotunar. That is both on Periscope and the Twitter. Fantastic. Make sure that you guys. C-U-N-A-R. I, I also go by Carlos, but you know. Call the man Carlos. That's uh That's right. One of the one of the many nicknames. Yeah, you're 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 a legend, indeed, sir. Indeed. You've indeed. got, uh, you've I got am quite the legacy. Exactly. Sometimes I people don't know where this accent comes from, but I'll tell you right now, it is occasionally called strong bad. If you know strong bad, then you are cool. <laughs> Fantastic, fantastic videos. A lot of fun. Hey, you were telling me that um, there was a really great uh, podcast that a friend of yours was doing, and we wanted to we wanted to shout that out as well. Yes, it is. Well, you can find them at Art. It's at artxfm.com. That's a r t x f m dot com. And it's actually a terrestrial radio station. Oh, it's wow. Very cool. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, we'll, I'm um, in Louisville. I'm in Kentucky. But they're kind of an alternative radio station. They have, like, DJs that come in, and they, like, pick all the music and stuff. My friend Kim, uh, she's uh, uh, she, she is Kim. And she is very cool, and uh, she 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 does she has a radio show. It's on Mondays at noon, uh, East Eastern time, and you should all check it out because it's super cool. Fantastic, guys! If you're following us yep. on Twitter, we'll make sure to get that uh, that information out there as well. We'll we'll tweet something Absolutely. about it. And you guys can check it out on the ISM podcast underscore Twitter feed, so that you can all uh, jam to some sweet tunes. Also all right. Art XFM. Did you hear me, Dopinephrine? I did hear you. Say it one more time, though. This is the Twitter handle. Uh, A-R-T-X-F-M. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it? All right. Everybody right. everybody, follow them as well. Give them, give them some love. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, 
what we want to do is, and we're gonna we're gonna move fairly quickly because we are now just under an hour left in the program. Um, we're going to do kind of a kind of a a quick pass at the uh, Obama accomplishments and uh, failures, if you will, of of the last eight years. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna kind of freestyle this. This is gonna be fun. Um, we're we're gonna do kind of like a like a rapid fire uh, round where I've got I've got a list here of basically it's a timeline of his presidency. And I thought that we would just kind of move through that and talk about um, what we wanted to talk about. Now, the 2008 election between Barack Obama and John McCain um, dealt with issues of terrorism and foreign policy to a great extent. But I, I would say that the primary focus of that election was on the economy. Um, there was a lot of talk about the the problems that the economy was facing. Uh, we were we were right in those last few months. We were being jolted by the beginning of the Great Recession, um, right. thanks to the housing bubble and and some of the the shenanigans on Wall Street. Um, right. On February seventeenth, less than a month after after taking the oath the oath of office, uh, President Obama signed the seven hundred eighty seven billion dollar stimulus bill into law despite Republican opposition. Right. This provided $212 billion in tax cuts, 1.6 million jobs uh, a year were saved or created for four years, 24 million workers received unemployment insurance, so on and so forth. There were a lot of programs underneath uh, the stimulus package uh, that was sort of this this big steroid shot to the American economy to keep the Great Recession from, as they were saying on the news day in and day out, turning into the Great Depression, uh, another Great Depression. Um, Right. The 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 stimulus bill is there. Are there still people that think that this is a bad idea? A lot of people hated this at the time. Yes. I mean, we kind of needed it, right? Right. We totally needed it. Okay. This this came up again in the 2012 uh, election because uh, Mitt Romney was saying that we should let the car industries fail. The right. the the and we should we should mention that the beginning of the stimulus bill was drafted and um, and promoted by George W. Bush. Uh, right. He recognized that this was necessary and promoted this idea. This was um, Obama fresh out of the Senate. Uh, fairly low in experience when it came to governing, was faced with this huge, huge crisis. He had all of these plans during the election, and all of them had to get kind of moved to the side a little bit in those first couple of months because everybody was ripping their hair out, and the stock markets were crashing, and it was it was scary. Um, I, I remember I remember this time. I, I I wasn't you know a lot of it was was over my head because I don't have stocks and bonds, um, but a lot of people who did were really really terrified and the doomsday scenarios that were being painted by um respectable economists were were pretty dire um this this seems to have been a um a pretty good solution because here we are eight years later and we've got a higher stock market than ever functioning car companies and money paid back and right a lot of people had to do a lot of work yeah, we still right. have Ford, we still have Chevrolet, we still have Chrysler. Um, this was um, this was this was a, this was a good thing. I think that the that the that the Dow is now floating around like twenty thousand points. 
Right. On on March 9th of 2009, it dipped below 6,600. So that's like three and a half times uh, bigger than it was when Obama, you know, was 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 less than two months into his presidency. Right. Um. Now, a couple of things started happening pretty quick after that. Do you remember in October of 2009 when they awarded him the Nobel Peace Prize? I do. Can we kind of say that that was a little bit ridiculous? You're going to use a little bit? Okay. I would just go with mid-range, just plain old flat ridiculous. Okay, fair enough. Can we just say that was ridiculous? Let's let's go. Okay. We'll just call that ridiculous. Um, I was being diplomatic because I wasn't sure how you would respond, but yes, it was it was in in my view um, pretty goddamn ridiculous. Um, This was this was a president. Turn up the volume. All right. Oh, did it turn up? Yeah, you just turned up the volume on pretty goddamn ridiculous. Okay, I'll take that. I did. Yeah, yeah. I I went. I went for it. The 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 he got this he got this prize and he accepted it. Basically, for not being George W. Bush, that's that's as far as I can tell, that's why he got the prize. They 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 used some flowery language about how he was changing attitudes around the globe and and how uh, like you know he made America look better and 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 so on and so forth. But that doesn't really say anything. It wasn't for a particular accomplishment. He didn't get the Nobel Peace Prize for ending a war or discovering some scientific thing or anything like that, writing some some great book. He just got it because he wasn't George W. Bush. Um, And if they'd said that specifically, I would have been totally okay with that. If they'd said, hey, you're not George W. Bush. Here's the Nobel Peace Prize. (laughs) Chuck would have been totally okay with that. That would have been amazing. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's okay. So we, hey, we hey look, George W. Now. Bush ain't there no more. Uh, plus ten points, yo. Right here you go. Just just for not being that dude, we like you. I I feel I feel like Obama probably should have turned it down. Quite frankly, um, if if I feel I mean it's hard to say because I'm probably never going to win a Nobel Peace Prize while being president of the United States. But I feel as though if I was in his shoes, I would have used that to my advantage and said, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. And I've been president for, you know, half a year. And while I appreciate the thought, you guys, um, why don't you come back in a couple of years and and give it to me when you can state how I earned it? That that would have been that would have been nice in my view. That makes complete sense. You know, can you imagine the PR he would have gotten if, if he'd done that? Oh, it would have been instant political capital time. Yeah, he would have gotten all kinds of, I think, bipartisan credit for that one. But anyway, it uh, it's it's really Nobel Committee attempts to give Barack Obama a peace prize, but he turns it down. Says no, has work <laughs> to do ahead. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a fantastic. I feel headline. like he deserves it. Yeah, the 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 humbleness of that. Yeah, that would have been that would have been major news. Um. Okay, so after he wins the Nobel Peace Prize, he gives his first State of the Union. I love that. 
Um, this is this is during the time when, and I remember this very very well. This was uh, in my early political junkie days. I was kind of figuring out where I stood on on particular issues. I was like 21, um, and I was really kind of delving into the theory of politics, uh, the the labels of Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, um, and and learning what all of that precisely meant. Um, it was it was in March of 2010 that he signed the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. Um, we're we're a year and seven days in, and what is what is still probably his his biggest legislative achievement um, is already done. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I was reading the the, the State of the Union. It was actually uh, uh, a year, two months, and three days into his presidency uh, that he signed uh, Obamacare, um, which originally was supposed to be a derogatory term. People were calling it Obamacare to kind of kind of fuck with his head a little bit, and then finally at some right. point he came out and said, no, no, you can call it that. That's cool with me. I'm fine. Yeah, I, like that. I, like <laughs> I don't mind being associated with this. That's, that's fantastic. Um, the Affordable Care Act, good law, bad law. What do you think? Um, I think it's an outstanding law. It's absolutely saved my life. I'm on it. You're on it personally. I'm an epileptic. Yeah, I'm on it personally. I'm an epileptic who that means I have a pre-existing condition, which meant that I was having a huge amount of trouble getting coverage um, of insurance. And that also means that I get a, uh, a bit of a discount on medication and basically without it, it, it's basically saved my life. And I know a lot of other people that that applies to as well. Um, uh, in Kentucky, uh, for example, the state I'm in, um, 63% of people from, I think from, I'm, I'm pulling this out of the air, but it's, I believe it was something to the effect of, uh, we went up from our insurance, uh, numbers went up like 40% in just like two years of people covered. Wow. And yeah. And, it, uh, and we ended up being like a model for like half the country, um, just because of the way our plan was deployed. So, wow. By the way, uh, here it's nine 11 right now. So I just like to point out, you need to never forget. <laughs> well, Fair enough. We will. Uh, we will. I don't know. I don't know how anybody ever would. I've been being told that since I was uh, since I was fourteen. Never forget. Um, yeah. I, I remember nine eleven quite well. Um, I uh, it's 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 one of the stronger memories of my childhood. I I can't imagine how I would have to go senile to forget that one. So we're we're now in a time when we're we're entering a new debate uh, surrounding the Affordable Care Act. Um, Congress is. Is, uh, is pretty excited that they're going to be able to repeal this thing. Um, and you would have a personal stake in that fight. You would actually personally Absolutely. be harmed by that. Um, right. The, the big concern now is that they're going to repeal it before they necessarily replace it with anything. And right. that's a nightmare because once it's repealed, what's the, what's, the, what's the motivation to actually replace um, I, I worry that it's just kicking the can down the road, and it's going to be one of those debates that never ends. Um, what do you think of the argument, and this was posed by the left at the time, that Obamacare didn't go far enough? I agree. 
Uh, I mean, we, we live in a society that absolutely needs single payer and that uh, Obamacare was the best compromise that they could probably get passed at the time. Hmm. Um, end of line. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree on both I points. Mean, I, I think mean, really, that this, this particular Congress, that, that was probably the best compromise they could get through at the time. I mean, precisely. Yeah, I, I think that he was already expending all the political capital that he had available to him um, in order to get through what he got through. Um, I, anything, anything more may have been asking too much of that particular Congress. I agree. We, we, I, would, I would much prefer to have a universal system in which we're not worried about these, these you know, deductibles and premiums and lining the pockets of, of more and more health-providing corporations. Um, but you know, given the option of do nothing or take Obamacare, lukewarm though it may be, I'll take Obamacare. Right. And see, the other thing that people, most people don't understand is that when you, when you put legislation like that up and through, you're asking a lot of the people that are down in Congress themselves, um, down in their individual districts and so forth. Um, so if you put up something like uh, universal or single payer or something like that, you're asking a, a, a whole lot of them um, to do that. Um, and, and that could potentially end their political careers uh, right. right then and there. Whereas Obamacare would not necessarily do that. Right. Um, so it, it becomes kind of a middle ground for them. Now that might sound like it's a bullshit answer and it might sound like they're taking a half-assed way of doing it for, just for their career. Um, but that's just politics and politics is just a great big game. Um, and, and for me, a person like me, I don't like, I don't like sports. I don't like football. I don't like anything like that, but that's what politics is for me. It's a sport. Um, and that's, that is literally the way it's played. So I, I completely agree. It's uh, it's it's like a sport that that matters. Um, right. Nothing in the world really changes depending on who wins a football game. Like you know, it, it, all all that that decides is which group of fans is celebrating the next morning. Right. Nothing else changes. With with politics, it's real, but we can enjoy it as a sport. I've been that way for most of my life. I I love right. the excitement of it, the energy of it, the debate, the tactics, all of it. it it's uh, it's a lot of fun for me, and I think that I'm only interested because it actually affects the world. It, it's also how we define um, progress and 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 how we're moving forward as a society. So that was uh, that was March of 2010. Less than a month later, the BP oil rig blows up in the Gulf of Mexico. Um. And then nine days after that, that Obama – what's that? That was fantastic. <laughs> Oil rig blowing up? <laughs> yeah, that was just mm. – those poor <laughs> ducks. Those poor ducks. Those poor ducks. Yeah, what a nightmare. Um, I mean, oh, and I remember, I remember sitting and watching the news during that time, and everybody, everybody's attitude was basically, well, that didn't work. So we'll try the junk shot or the jump shot or like they were just coming up with ridiculous names. Maybe if we just take a whole bunch of junk and fly, fly go down there and like, uh, I don't know, like a submarine and we drop it all in the hole, 
maybe it'll work. There, nobody had any idea how to fix this thing. I was like, what year is this? It's amazing that in the 21st century that can happen. And then when it does happen, we just basically stand around and look at it and go, well, throw some stuff at it, see if it stops. Yeah, there was yeah I'm like, <laughs> nothing wait, 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 wait. You, are, you are an oil company and you don't know how to fix this in right. case this shit happens? Seriously? Right. Yeah. The Fucked by the profit motive again. Yeah. So they, they, you know, they were dealing with that. Nine days after the oil rig blows up, Obama has already passed the stimulus plan and uh, has signed the Affordable Care Act. Then he delivers his 100-day speech. This guy is cooking. Uh, in May, he nominated both Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor to the Supreme Court. Yeah. I uh, got a, got a twofer. That's right. Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, pretty, pretty in, in my estimation, pretty good justices. Um, yeah. Uh, like, like everything in those early years, very contentious, a lot of back and forth in yeah. Congress, a lot of ridiculous statements, some, some, some not so nice uh, uh, ethnic and misogynistic uh, uh, derived comments being made about these women. Um, but they did end up getting confirmed, and they are both on the Supreme Court. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then the Republicans sweep the November midterm and boom, yep. all of that stuff. It was like he kind of knew that everything was so new and radical and crazy that he had to get it all done real, real fast while he had a Democratic majority because right. the country's going to go, whoa, hang on a second. And indeed, uh, the uh, 2010, the end of 2010 was a was a a tough time for Democrats. Uh, Republicans okay. took like everything. Right. Um, You're going to hear me say this a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say this a lot. Okay. He's black. He's black. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that out at random. You're just going to, you're just going to mention that from time to time. Yep. Do you think that the, uh, 2010, victories by the Republicans were in part a repudiation of his color as well as his politics? Yes. Yes. Hmm. You want to expand upon that at all? Uh, almost all of the commercials that, that were used uh, against him would put a picture of his black face on camera and uh, then they would put the Democratic opponent uh, on screen next to him uh, minority or not, and uh, uh, most of the time it wasn't a minority because for whatever reason we're not getting enough minority candidates, um, and that's kind of driving me nuts right now. Um, mm. uh, but they would say Obama, 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 and over and over it was Obama, and constantly trying to tie the candidates to Obama. Here's here's your black man. Here's your black man. Here's your black man. That's what they're doing. Hmm. Hmm. Seriously, that's it's 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 subliminal. You want to call it that? That's fine, but that's what they're doing. Right. Well, uh, for for various reasons, that is what occurred in November. It was not long after, um, just after Christmas of that year, that without Democratic support, Obama went ahead and signed the compromise tax plan, which extended the Bush tax cuts. Um, I remember him 
getting some flack from the left on that one. I, I wonder sometimes if he wasn't just trying to um, just trying to demonstrate yet again that he was willing to that he was willing to compromise, that he was willing to, you know, OK, you guys won the, the midterm. Um, I'll, I'll try to meet you halfway here um, by by extending the, the tax cuts uh, that uh, that that came up under George W. Bush. Right. You remember my statement earlier about the third term and getting to kind of make up for some of the bullshit from the first term? Sure. That's what we're talking about. So in a in a in a hypothetical third term, um, you would you would see him you would imagine him uh, editing the tax plan a bit more. Sure, or maybe strengthening the uh, ACA, or I don't know, perhaps getting an actual liberal on the uh, SCOTUS. Or, you know, just forgetting Merrick Garland and just, you know, going straight for, oh, you know, you know what, you know what, putting Hillary Clinton on the damn SCOTUS or Bill Clinton, you know, something like that, just to piss him off, you know, <laughs> something like that, you know, because yeah, I'm like, it's that. A... yeah, because I'm that guy um, or something, you know, just something like that or putting Bernie Sanders on there, you know, something like that, because I'm that guy. <laughs> uh, right. Just, just get a, just get somebody, you know, a big name from the left. And give him right. a lifetime appointment. Right. In case anybody and, uh, doesn't, you know, mail them all pillows for you know Christmas. Just be all like, <laughs> <laughs> you're brutal. I know. And if you don't get that joke, you're not a political junkie. <laughs> the uh, for those who who might not remember this, we are at present. Uh, still living in a country that has a Supreme Court with only eight justices on it. Yep, yep. They, they, what was it, like 13 months ago uh, that Obama mm-hmm. nominated Merrick Garland? Yes. And with more than a year left in office, I believe, I, I don't have it in front of me, I believe it was, it was more than a year before he left office, he did what the president is supposed to do because uh, uh, Antonin Scalia died. Uh, while while in the Supreme Court, and so he, um, well, well, on the Supreme Court, he didn't die in the Supreme Court. He died in Texas, but the president is supposed to nominate Supreme Court. That's his job. That's one of the the right. things that the executive is supposed to do. Uh, he did his job, and Congress said, "Nah, we don't. We're not. We're not even going to bother. We're not even going to look at it. We're not even going to have hearings. We're not even going to have a debate." about whether or not we should, we should fill this. We want the American people to decide. They decided that this would be uh, the best way to proceed. We, we, want, we want the next president, whoever that should be, to, to make that decision. And so um, one of the first things that uh, Donald Trump will be able to do when he comes to power is uh, nominate um, somebody for the Supreme Court. We've got a few other members who are pretty advanced in years, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, I don't know how old, but she's, she's old. Um, and she's you know, in her nineties. I mean, asking, asking her to, to survive another eight years might be, might be an ask too far. Uh, so, so Trump could easily end up having two, maybe even three um, nominations, uh, two, two seats on the, uh, two or three seats on the, on the court to fill. Um, that's more of just a, just a, a, something of interest to state. That's not really. That's not really a point. 
Um, <clears throat> all right, that that basically rounds out 2010. When we begin 2011, things are a little a little calmer. We have the State of the Union. President Obama announces that he's going to run for re-election. Uh, big surprise there. Um, but on May 1st, big big news. On May 1st of 2011, United States forces tracked down Osama bin Laden in Pakistan Indeed. and killed him in a raid in Abbottabad. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That that was that was major major news. That was I remember I didn't have I didn't have cable. I've, I've never had cable. I don't. Can I don't can, can we just pause for one second? Please. We found out that the United States has the coolest helicopters you've ever seen right in this raid i mean like out of like video games and movies and all of this shit we have like these super cool stealth helicopters oh my just because one of them crashed on accident like a wind gust came along but these helicopters are so cool get some pictures look at it they're so cool okay Corey, go uh, yeah, they were like some Call of Duty shit. Those those choppers were, and I love that um, um, Obama thought, just in case, just in case, I I, I don't want to repeat like um, Black Hawk Down. I'm, I'm going to send a backup right. chopper because I don't want those guys to get to get lost in in Pakistan. That would kind of dampen dampen spirits a bit after after getting Bin Laden. That would that would suck. Um, right. So they they blew it up. Yeah, it was a fantastic idea. Uh, and and if you, I'm sure everybody has, but just in case you haven't, if you have never seen the, the the photograph taken during that raid of the cabinet, everybody is sitting around in in like a little control room, uh, watching the op. Um, you will never see a more a, a more mousish, tiny Obama. He's this he's this giant man. He's like six two or something. Um, he's very tall. He's very lanky. He's got a large, confident presence. And you look at that picture, and he's like shrunken in his seat, and his eyes are locked on the screen in front of him, which isn't in the photograph. And he just he looks just like he's 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 he so wants it to go well. He's so concerned about the guys that he just sent in there. He's just watching with this this gaze of of absolute focus. Um, and, uh, and it, it, there's something about that image. I think it's going to be in history books forever. Um, it's a, it's a remarkable photograph. Hillary Clinton is also in it, um, with this. Kind yeah, of this I swear this Hillary impression. Clinton is the one in the photograph that looks like she's the one that's large and in charge there. Yes. She's Check kind of centered in the picture. Yeah. She, she looks like she's the one that's just cool and laid back and just let's get this motherfucker. By the way, when they, there are, um, there were some newspapers in uh, New York City, uh, some some Orthodox Jewish newspapers. These little like old school printing press, like little tiny newspapers that that you know get distributed to like a couple of neighborhoods in Brooklyn or something. There were these little newspapers, and there was there was this. Um, I don't know how widespread this view is, but there were sects of Orthodox Jews who were who were printing these images, and it was against their religion to print. Um, an image of a woman. And so if you, if you, there, there are pictures of it on the internet, you can, you can, it's all like in, in, in Hebrew, the, 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 the text on the newspaper is all Hebrew. Um, 
And uh, they photoshopped out Hillary Clinton. And there's another woman in the picture. I'm not sure who she is, an aide or, or, or somebody in the military. I'm not sure. But they cut both of those women out of the picture and printed it uh, altered in order to in order to, you know, they like changed history kind of in order to uh, in order to not go against their their religious belief and print the image of a woman in a newspaper. Um, I guess it's fortunate for them that Hillary Clinton didn't win the election. Yeah, you, you'd never be able to print another newspaper if she's in the right. news. You're 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 screwed. Um, I just found that to be a, kind of a kind of a curious a curious little thing. Um, um, I've, so I've got an awesome photoshopped wallpaper of that same picture of uh, uh, them, uh, you know, playing uh, PlayStation. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, play, uh, PlayStation controllers have been you know put in everybody's hands. And, <laughs> that's adorable. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you should give me a copy of that. I'd like to see that. That's cool. Um, yeah. Now the 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 killing of Osama bin Laden is the second time that um, Obama is fulfilling the work of the previous president, um, President Bush. It's called controversial. Has it really? Yes. Uh, the the killing of bin Laden himself is controversial. Yes. Yes, it's been called controversial. I I can imagine it being a bit controversial because we were there on the ground and presumably could have captured him. And since we believe in you know juries and trials and and justice and whatnot, um, I could understand somebody being annoyed that we didn't capture him alive and, and, and make him stand trial rather than just executing him. Right. Bring him back and make him stand trial in New York City itself. Where do you stand on that issue? Um, well, I don't – I am not an animal, okay? And I think that would have been the biggest – uh, gosh, what's a good way to put it? I think that would have been the biggest media circus you've ever seen. And uh, you would have seen a vicious American uh, circus like never before. And you would have seen a side of the American people that uh, you just wouldn't ever want to see again. And it would just be shameful. Mm-hmm. Um, and... What would it accomplish? Absolutely nothing. Uh, what would they do? Eventually, just kill him, um, or lock him in a uh, padded room forever, one or the other. That's all. So it would accomplish nothing. The whole thing would be just for revenge, and uh, so the ultimate outcome would be the same anyway. So you know, the best thing to do would be to kill him and just get it over with. Uh, it's just like you know, famous celebrities that, you know, have their, you know, graves constantly uh, molested by people or, or that sort of thing. Um, uh, it, it, it's sometimes it's better to just kind of let it go. And, and that was, right. I remember them saying they, uh, they buried him at sea on the way back from um, Pakistan exactly for that reason. They didn't want to create um, a shrine. They didn't also, want to. Right. Also, yeah, no shrine. Right. Also that. Right. I I do wonder right. though 
but you but instead of a shrine you've also got the the danger of of you know having just pure american citizens uh coming there and you know just fucking killing people the well, right defacing it or yeah you could cause some contention there right yeah right. i can uh, you know, if I can it's a shrine you've also got people killing people at the shrine yeah yeah i think i think that part was the right choice um disposing right. of the body in such a way where you know Nobody, nobody is going to go and, and find it. Nobody is going to go and, and say this is his gravestone, and you know either either worship that spot or or deface it. Um, right. I, I would push back on the idea that that it's so. I mean, you're you're right in practicality. What would be the point? He would ultimately. I mean, I don't think that we can that we that we can think that we would have put bin Laden on trial and he would have gotten off. Like, I, I can't imagine the judge would be like, oh, no, uh, reasonable doubt. You're free to go. I, I can't imagine that occurring. Um, I'm pretty sure that, that he would indeed have been convicted rather quickly. Um, right. But I, I don't know that we want to open the door of, there are some people that are, above the law in the opposite way. There are some people that, that are, are so vile, so dangerous that we can just, um, you know, let a soldier with a gun be judged during executioner. I, I'm not sure if, if America should be that. Um, well, here's the thing. And this is where I get weird. I am not completely confident in our judicial system to hand down a guilty verdict of of death on someone, right? Mm. But I do truly believe that there are people that deserve to die. So I'm a little mixed on that. <laughs> I'm yeah. a conundrum. It is a conundrum. Um, it's, it's, it's and a, and it's, I think Bin Laden is one of those people that deserve to die. So I think that for whatever reason, however it happened, I think some justice was done there, um, whether it was extrajudicially or not. Um, and to be perfectly honest, in that particular case, I don't really care. Hmm. I, can, I can set all of my ethics aside for that one particular case. Interesting. Interesting. I wonder... Um... I wonder. I wonder how other people feel. This much time having passed, I, I haven't. I haven't had a discussion about the Bin Laden killing in years now, uh, and this is this is now five, almost six years ago. Um, I, I wonder if um, if attitudes have changed at all um, in general. I, I, I'd, I'd love to hear some some comments on 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 how people uh, on how people feel about this through the through the lens of time, if you will. Well, I was. Well, I'm forty. I'm about to turn 41, so I saw it through a different lens than you did. But That's true. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Now, 2011 is notable for um, another major foreign policy point. Um, on October 20th, Colonel Myanmar Gaddafi, Gaddafi was uh, killed. Um this was a plan that I think was was promoted rather heavily by Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State. Um, she wanted to uh, intervene in Libya in order to in order to stop this guy. 
and he ultimately was killed in in pretty brutal fashion. And I remember people at the time saying, uh, look at the contrast here. Uh, Bush wanted to get rid of Saddam Hussein. We're still there. We've spent we've spent nearly 10 years in Iraq and we've spent a trillion dollars to remove that regime. Obama and his administration removed Gaddafi inside of like what a month and they did it for a billion dollars. Right. Now, would you say that Gaddafi is another one of these individuals where now he wasn't killed by American forces. I believe he was killed by uh, other Libyans, but would you say that, that that was just, and, and brutally at that, um, right. Was was that in your a, estimation? He was, he was dick. Yeah, there was some there was some 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 impaling going on to say the least. It was yeah. it was brutal. It was it was uh, it was pretty gross. Um, yeah. Was was that action justified? The situation was that situation was really really. Most people don't actually understand what what was going on with that. As I understand the entire situation. The Gaddafi that we knew and loved growing up, um, the one that worked with Reagan and even the earlier Clinton administration, had gone a little batshit and was, in fact, in the, in the process of becoming a little bit more like, um, uh, what's his name, uh, a guy in Syria. Uh, Bashar al-Assad. Yeah, al-Assad. Uh, in Syria. And that's why he had such a large contingent of people against him in Libya. He had really become quite a corrupt leader. Um, And he was kind of in the way of a lot of plans in the Middle East. Um, So the idea was that the U.S. would lead the first wave of three waves. The, The U.S. would knock down the doors of Libya, and then Europe would come in and take over, kind of holding the place. Right, Europe never came in, so that's why Libya basically stayed a mess. Hmm. That's the problem, and then after that, that's why all the Benghazi shit and everything else happened. So, I mean, if you wanna if you wanna call a spade a spade, that's what happened. Um, we ha- we essentially had no backup after that. When we pulled out, nobody pulled in because hmm. you were supposed to have you were supposed to have a stabilizing force after that just to basically let the Libyans stabilize themselves. So instead of being able to do that immediately, it's taken them all this time to finally do it. And it's not a friendly place now. Now, whether or not you agree that's a good idea, that was the idea. Now, how do you feel about that? Libya has always always posed a, a bit of a conundrum for me. Um, and this is why I'm grateful that I am not president. Um, on one hand, there were people in significant danger. Um, there was a, a reasonably well-thought-out plan on how to go in and, uh, and assist in this internal conflict. And so if you're going to execute something like that, it was handled rather well, especially when we compare it to um, other recent conflicts. That said, now you realize getting someone executed is not exactly the 
the same thing as just simply getting someone stripped away and left alone, right? Sure. Yeah. There's 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 right. Libya is, is surrounded by gray. The the whole situation is 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 shades of of, uh, of grays. Um, but I don't think it's fair end, necessarily to say getting got him killed. Well, I think they were just trying to get him out of power. Of course, but I mean, what did they reasonably expect would ultimately happen? I mean, getting him out of power under those conditions does kind of say he's going to be killed. Well, it didn't ha- didn't happen to Mubarak. Well, that's true. That's that's actually a good point. I I wonder sometimes how much in these situations we should be getting involved. I wonder other times why I am even wondering that, given that sometimes uh, terrible enough things are happening, enough innocent people are threatened that it shouldn't be a, well, but we shouldn't intervene. Sometimes you have to just say, you know what, this is wrong and we won't put up with it. So we're going to go, we're going to go take care of this. Right. I, I, I'm very, I'm very torn on, on Libya. I've never been able to definitively say uh, that was a great idea and I'm glad that we did it or, whoa, completely unacceptable, guys. I, I, I'm always just kind of – I note it in history without necessarily taking a stance. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's okay to not have an opinion on everything. Maybe it's because I'm weak and won't take a hard opinion. I don't know. But when it comes to this, this one isolated thing, um, I, I often wrestle back and forth with, um, with how Libya was handled and whether or not we were – we were, you know, whether or not it was okay for us to, to intervene in the first place. Well, may I submit that good decisions should be hard. And on that Agreed. One, good, that decision should be hard because, I mean, that was a fucked up place to begin with, but I mean, they are a citizen of the world and the world itself should, I mean, ha- has a, a say in it if, you're, if they're going to be, you know, a, citizen, a part of that, Right. Sure. And it, and it once again highlights the difficulty of, of being in the Oval Office, of being the commander-in-chief and having to make these decisions. It's not easy. Um, we, are, we are quickly running out of time, and we have not even completed Obama's first term. Here's what we're going to do, guys. Uh, after the program, uh, give us a couple of minutes to reset, and then follow us at ismpodcast underscore on Periscope. What we're going to do is we're going to do sort of an after show where we will uh, get into a Hangout together, Google Hangout together, um, uh, Chuck and I and probably some other people. And um, our, our good friend, Young Athlon 399, will join as well, and he will scope that conversation. And we will kind of uh, go through the rest of this list, and we'll be able to take your questions in a more direct way. Um, and we'll, we'll try to, to round this out um, for everybody, because we, I, I mean, I should have known this when we began. Two hours was never going to be enough. Um, is he but, going to wear a funky hat? He might. We can hope. He's got Young some, Adlon, some... Wear, wear a funky hat. That's just, I'm just asking. His hats are cold as ice, man. He's got, he's got style. Don't um, sacrifice your love. <laughs> before, before I do um, my wrap-up on the show, I did, I, I'm going to go completely out of order here, so bear with me. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to rewind the clock here to the 2008 campaign when Obama was running um, in the in the later half of the campaign. Some somebody somebody in the media found these recordings of a particular reverend 
Reverend Wright from Chicago. He was the he was the the pastor of a church that Obama uh, was a member of. Um, this Jeremiah. was the guy who Jeremiah Reverend Wright. Um, he was Jeremiah. he was he's this he's this this bombastic guy. And uh, before we completely run out of time, I want to play uh, an extended version of the clip that everybody was uh, obsessing over during that election. But the British government failed. The Russian government failed. The Japanese government failed. The German government failed. And the United States of America government, when it came to treating her citizens of Indian descent fairly, she failed. She put them on reservations. When it came to treating her citizens of Japanese descent fairly, she failed. She put them in internment prison camps. When it came to treating the citizens of African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America? No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America that's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America as long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. The United States government has failed the vast majority of her citizens of African descent. Woo. So that that in case in case you never heard of me before, that is that is that is a black church, man. That is some that is some some rousing diction to be sure. <laughs> um, well, first of all, may I suggest that Reverend Wright smoke a joint? Yeah, and then maybe have some milk and, and cookies. But good lord, smoke a joint, brother. The 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 thing about this is I in no way disagree with him. I I really no, don't. He's right. No, he's right. He's, he went down he's, a very distinct list. He was right. But I mean, just calm down. You're going to give yourself a heart attack. It's called a coronary. <laughs> We're looking out for your health at this point. Just you know. That's right. You know, it's it's uh, this was this was now they they just clipped out like the seven seconds where he says "God damn America" and then uh, put that next to a picture of Barack Obama for a couple of months and tried to tried to convince everybody that a vote for Barack Obama was a vote for this guy. Um, first of all, he's not wrong, but I think that what this highlights here is um, religious contention. Right. What other what other format other than a church would Barack Obama have been listening? To this guy, this is this is a problem that arose uh, because there was a congregation and because there was a pulpit and because this guy was saying stuff about God and about the Bible uh, that ended up casting all of this out. People were willing to cast their vote based on what was said in the church because nothing is more contentious than the faith of an individual and nothing is more contentious about a political candidate than their uh, their faith and what assumptions you can make about it. I don't know. 
Yeah, I'm I'm just completely flabbergasted. Every every time I I just associate Barack Obama and this guy in my head, I'm just flabbergasted. Because just specifically because everything that Jeremiah Wright says is technically correct until he gets to God damn America, and then I go, but there is no God. Right, right. Just like I, I wrestle with that, you know, because I'm right. you know, and. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not doing that to anybody else. I'm not trying to push that on anybody else. But, I mean, that's that's just for me personally. And uh, it, it's just, it's kind of kind of a funny conundrum. Uh, so he goes, to God damn America. And I go, but there is none. And he goes, God damn America again. And I go, but there is none. So it's kind of, it's kind of a funny little thing in my head. So right. if you run that through your own processes, it, it's kind of cute. It is. It's uh, it's a really, really interesting moment. It's um. It was it was interesting at the time, and it's still interesting today. Uh, even if it's just because it's a very entertaining clip, I I, I like what he's saying, and I right. like the way he's saying it. It's it's rousing. It's exciting. Um, right. If it's like but, be damned, you know, I guess you can be damned, and I can I can fly with that, you know. But, sure. Sure. But, well, we're you know, uh, like we're, this guy is evil and all that stuff, and I'm like, why? Because he goes through, you know, a completely accurate history of America and the way we were actually constructed and built and got here. I mean, you know, and he even covers, he was, he was, he was nice enough to even include the Japanese internment camps. I mean, yeah, most he, didn't, people, he, he wasn't, he's talking about all groups, all of that. the failures. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of people haven't even heard that length of the clip and that's only about half of the speech. I just didn't want to include the whole thing. Um, Cause right. it's too long. But I mean, there's he's saying a lot there, and and it's uh, it's kind of a good example of maybe it's not quite out of context, but you're certainly avoiding all of the color that ends up explaining the statement when you just play the goddamn America part. Um, Chuck, do me a favor and 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 very quickly uh, give us the name of that radio show one more time and where the people can follow you on the internet. Um, well, it's the Kimberly Sometimes Radio Show, and it's uh, it's a it's at noon on Mondays, and that's at Art FX. Well, shit, I screwed it up again. It's ArtXFM.com. That's A-R-T-X-F-M.com. And they can follow and you on Twitter it. at Jotunar, right? Yep, J-O-T-U-N-A-R, and that's the same for Periscope. I am also known as, Peri- as Carlos on Periscope. I almost said I was known as Periscope on Carlos. That was good. <laughs> get in touch with Carlos and uh, uh, and follow him. This this guy is is a is a, a dear friend of mine. His his dialogue is fantastic. He's highly highly entertaining and he's sharp as a whip. Make sure that you are following uh, Chuck wherever you can. Guys, Barack Obama was the first president I was old enough to vote for. He has been the president for most of my adult life, and I will admit to being rather fond of him. So in closing, allow me to praise the 44th Commander-in-Chief. Barack Obama can in some ways be summed up in a single word, dignity. His ability to remain cool under pressure is unmatched, as demonstrated over the last eight years on partisanship and relentless political attack. Somehow he raised above the sometimes vitriolic attitudes from which he he was characterized with the worst possible connotations attached to words like socialist, communist, Muslim, fanatic, American hater, and terrorist, along with a slew of racial slurs and caricatures hurled relentlessly at him as a black man. He was called a liar by a member of the House during a joint session of Congress. 
Political rallies held against him had a long and ugly trend of including portrayals of him as a witch doctor, a monkey, and a sambo. These were personal attacks fueled by uncivilized racism, which added nothing to the political discourse, and yet they popped up with unsettling frequency. Yet through it all, President Obama kept his eye on the work of the Oval Office and his words on promoting an inclusive society. Christian or not, Obama seemed to embody the old notion of turning the other cheek. Nothing threw him off his game. Nothing sapped his seemingly endless supply of optimism and hope. Obama has always been the best in America. He's always seen the best in America. Rather than let the brutish attitudes on the ever-widening fringe of public discourse color his view of this nation's potential, he again and again held up his vision of America as one where progress is always being made and is always deserved. He was certainly capable of seeing America for what it was, yet never stopped fighting to make it a perfect union. He believed in the promises of America, unfulfilled though some of them may be. Not only that, he made me believe in it too. Obama handled crisis, opposition, and hatred with grace. He showed my generation that the president could be thoughtful, considerate, and moral. He demonstrates by example American family values and embodies the ethical politician. He showed that the president could have a good time, always happy to engage with the citizenry through popular culture and social media. He was accessible without being caught in the currents of fashion. He played with us in an affectionate way, setting a new bar for outreach to the people of America that could be both enriching and entertaining. He adjusted to the changing mediums that dominated much of his time in government and made a point to let us see him smile. He was one of our funniest presidents, too. Just watch his White House correspondence dinners. Before I lose the thread, let me say this. It doesn't matter if you agree with Barack Obama's politics or not. I won't think less of you if you didn't vote for him or more of you if you did. I'm not closing the episode with a celebration of his legislation or a call for more centrist liberals moving forward because of him. I'm talking about Obama as America's elected leader, our official representative to the rest of the world. And in that capacity, I feel compelled to show gratitude. His demeanor matched the dignity of Oval, the Oval Office deserves. His attitude was hopeful and realistic, with as much inclusionary rhetoric as was feasible. He fit the job well and was a president that we had every reason to be proud of. He gave us his best side every day and never hid too deep his compassionate and romantic side. He showed emotion in public without ever being controlled by it. He showed us tender moments of love with his wife and the genuine friendship he had with his buddy Joe Biden. He was more than just the head of the executive branch of government. He was America's most public friend, ever thoughtful, always honest, and rarely distant. Above all, Barack Obama was human. If you get nothing else from this episode, please try to get this. Politics and record aside, Obama is a fine example of all the things I would call extraordinary about our species. He explores new possibilities, attempts to reduce the suffering of his fellow humans, and stands firmly against the forces of hatred and violence that would see that progress hampered. He advises hope and vigilance in the face of challenge and sectarianism. He never stops striving for a better and more prosperous tomorrow, and he does it without losing touch with his emotional self. He was and is a champion of thoughtful consideration and political intellectualism. I'm proud to call him my president, even if it is only for one more day. In the immortal words of my generation, thanks, Obama. We hope that you'll join us for the after show on ISM Podcast underscore, hosted by Young Athlon 399. Chuck and I will be on there. We want you to consider being a patron for us. If you're enjoying the show, if you want to continue to see it grow and get better, go to patreon.com slash informed podcast and give us some money. We would really, really appreciate that. We need the support from all of you. In lieu of our usual play out, we've opted to instead leave you with a few more words from Mr. Obama's farewell address. Have a good night.
and all of you out there, every organizer who moved to an unfamiliar town, every kind family who welcomed them in, every volunteer who knocked on doors, every young person who cast a ballot for the first time, every American who lived and breathed the hard work of change. You are the best supporters and organizers anybody could ever hope for, and I will be forever grateful because you did change the world. You did. And that's why I leave this stage tonight even more optimistic about this country than when we started. Because I know our work has not only helped so many Americans, it has inspired so many Americans, especially so many young people out there, to believe that you can make a difference to hitch your wagon to something bigger than yourself. Let me tell you, this generation coming up, unselfish, altruistic, creative, patriotic, I've seen you in every corner of the country. You believe in a fair and just and inclusive America. You know that constant change has been America's hallmark, that it's not something to fear, but something to embrace. You are willing to carry this hard work of democracy forward. You'll soon outnumber all of us, and I believe as a result, the future is in good hands. My fellow Americans, it has been the honor of my life to serve you. I won't stop. In fact, I will be right there with you as a citizen for all my remaining days. But for now, whether you are young or whether you're young at heart, I do have one final ask of you as your president. The same thing I asked when you took a chance on me eight years ago. I'm asking you to believe not in my ability to bring about change, but in yours. I'm asking you to hold fast to that faith written into our founding documents, that idea whispered by slaves and abolitionists, that spirit sung by immigrants and homesteaders and those who march for justice, that creed reaffirmed by those who planted flags from foreign battlefields to the surface of the moon a creed at the core of every American whose story is not yet written. Yes, we can. Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you. May God continue to bless the United States of America. Thank you.